Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Welcome back to the Project Parenthood podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll introduce you to the same respectful parenting practices that I use to help parents repair and deepen connections with their children. You'll get tips for cultivating more parental self-compassion, more cooperation from your kids, and more joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Happy Black History Month! I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. All month long, I've been centering African-American contributions to the history of the United States and beyond. And today, I'm lifting up the work of Dr. Lucretia Carter Berry, a woman making Black history, as she strives to courageously create the anti-racist world she knows is possible. You're going to hear about her new book, teaching kids about skin tone and ways to cultivate ongoing conversations about race and racism with children. You don't want to miss Dr. Berry's advice about the different things parents should keep in mind when talking about race with kids of color versus white children. So stick around till the end. A former college professor, Dr. Berry is the founder of Brownicity, Many Hues, One Humanity, an agency dedicated to advocacy education and support for racial healing and anti-racism that hosts thousands of learners committed to an anti-racism learning journey. Dr. Berry designed a beginner's course and authored the accompanying study guide called What Lies Between Us? Fostering First Steps Toward Racial Healing. She is the anti-race and racism curriculum specialist for Community School of Division in North Carolina a contributor for Encourage Me, a TEDx and QIDEA speaker in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a senior consultant for Point Made Learning's The American Dream Game. Here's my chat with Dr. Barry. I really want to ask you about a little bit more about your upcoming book, Hughes of You, yeah. and how parents can use that to inspire conversations about race and racism. Right. So um, the book is called Hues of You, an activity book for learning about the skin you are in. And it basically covers kind of a foundational understanding of, um, of skin tone and gives language and a framework for um, supporting healthy, informed, evidence-based understanding for skin tone. And so 
you know, I like to share a little bit about what, you know, what we know from research is that, yes, kids Please. do see color, right? Children are not colorblind. Yes. We know um, that as early as three to six months, they notice differences. And so, you know, you imagine families like ours that are multi-ethnic. Yeah, of course, our children can see the various skin tones right in their home. They don't confuse us, right? And then we know that by the age of five, um, kids see like skin color as a major point of difference or distinction, even if we don't talk about it, they still notice it. And then we also know that it's not a great idea to wait until something racist happens, you know, in order to talk about race. So for example, you know, if uh, my child is the perpetrator of something racist or they're the object of, you know, something racist, or, you know, what I get a lot is, you know, parents are saying, how do I have this conversation based on something horrible that is broadcast in the news? And so, you know, with that, like, oh, no, don't wait till something bad happens, because if we only talk about differences in skin tone or race when something bad happens, right, then we inadvertently associate skin tone with behavior. And we know that the genes responsible for skin tone have nothing to do with behavior. And we just we make race and skin tone, especially browner skin tones, we make that some type of taboo um, conversation, something full of maybe shame and pain, when really we can normalize the informed conversations um, about skin tones and, and race and empower our children to embrace and value differences. And then we also know that when we talk about, you know, phenotype, which is, you know, how we look or what we call race, um, it does not cause division. It doesn't cause division or make kids uh, racist. And so, you know, actually the research tells us that explicit education and conversations about skin tone and race improves racial attitudes across groups. And, you know, later I hope I can share some stories where I've seen this happen before my very eyes. And oh, so, I really want to hear some stories. Yes. And so like we we know this and we understand this. But, you know, because like my generation is we kind of inherited the colorblind approach, maybe we don't know exactly what to say, like how do we begin or what to say? You know, I created this workshop where and I have given this workshop for adults and kids, but hundreds and hundreds of kids. And so essentially I was taking note of the things that they wanted to talk about. And so I complete the workshop. And the adults, whether they be parents or librarians or teachers, they turn to me and say, well, now what? Because now these kids have these words and they are, you know, like they have this permission to have this conversations, this conversation. But the adults were saying, well, I don't I don't know what to say. And so, again, I'm like, OK, well, I will let me <laughs> write down what the kids are saying and then let me put this, you know, so that, again, adults are not struggling. And, and there's no judgment for the struggle because, again, we inherited colorblindness, right? There's no judgment. Um, but the adults who want to learn have a tool to, yeah, so they can meet the curiosity, the natural curiosity of the kids. And, you know, children, you know, deserve to uh, to understand, you know, they deserve to be kind of, you know, gifted with with the conversation, and with permission to ask questions and, and be curious. And so 
so yeah, that's that's why I, I created it. I I also wanted to emphasize like a particular framework and approach I use. And so the way that the book is designed or the way that things are, you know, written and how things are included is so that the kids and the adults can really zoom out and see the diversity of differences within the broader context of of human commonalities. Like diversity is common and normal, right? And so it's divided into um, four sections. So um, it starts with the hues of you, and then it goes to the hues of your family, then to the hues of your ancestors, and then to the hues of your friends. And so essentially, you know, we want kids to be able to explore their identity in a variety of social contexts and recognize and embrace our multi-hued world as, you know, as normal. There is no, you know, default <laughs> skin tone and yeah. And race is a conscious yeah. other thing, but I also wanted to distinguish, you know, skin tone is biological race is not. And that's also, I think where a lot of adults get tripped up because they're trying to, you know, put it together and explain it. Um, and that for a, a you know, for a brain, a young brain is confusing. Like kids are like, would say, well, my skin isn't white. So, you know, or your skin isn't black. So why are you, you know, why are we using these terms? And so I wanted to give that space to have first the skin tone conversation. And then um, once you have that understanding, you can layer on, you can layer on or add on uh, what race actually, um, actually is. That's really wonderful. I, I love the way you're putting that because there is such a distinction and where a lot of families get tripped up on that idea of actually what race is versus what skin tone is, because those two things are actually totally different things, but our society makes it seem like they're the same. That's right. And and it's very confusing to try to explain to a child, well, well, this is what melanin is, but also here's this thing people made up to make people in these hierarchy, like which is very difficult to explain to a very young child. Yes. And and so yeah, and here's the thing. You don't have to have all that explain all that at once. I mean, when I go into the classrooms, I I essentially am giving children this understanding about like, yes, melanin and ancestry and, ge you know, geographic origins of their ancestors. Like I'm giving them that piece. Now they've already come to sit down in front of me with some fuzzy idea about race or something, you know, like, okay, this is maybe what I've observed or I've heard people talk about. So they have a fuzziness, they have an inquiry. And then I sit down and give them something very concrete. And then they, they actually just want to spend a lot of time unpacking that, you know, especially younger ages. They're not ready to, or even, you know, really interested in, okay, let's talk about this more complex social construct. They are just really want to unpack, um, you know, the phenotype part and they're happy with that. And it's clear. So it takes away that fuzziness of that, you know, about the racial construct. And then later, um, you know, then, then there can be this conversation about, well, oh, this is what race is. And race is actually about rules, um, rules mm. and yeah, because kids, you, I don't think you need to say policies, but you know about rules and helping them understand how certain you know boundaries um, are created by rules, and then how those rules were put in place in history and why. And and that's what we did with our kids, um, and it has 
you know, worked really well in terms of them being equipped with, you know, understanding and language and even this freedom to ask questions, even, you know, the freedom to get upset. You know, I, I remember uh, a few times, you know, my children have gotten upset just about things they learned in history, painful things. But, you know, that just means that they're empathetic, which I am grateful for. Um, we're not going to. I mean, exactly. I think it's really important that when people people get upset about upsetting things. Right. right? Exactly. I, I, I yeah, I literally like watched my child have a tantrum. And because she said, and I thought this was so profound, I think she was maybe seven. Yeah. And she says something like she said something how it's not fair that race determines who gets to be born and who doesn't. Because she was referencing the anti-miscegenation laws. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she said she was saying if it were not for the that civil is rights, very big. right? If it wasn't, she said if it were not for civil rights, I wouldn't have been born. And she said that's not fair that it gets to determine wow. who gets to be born and who doesn't. I was, I mean, I was just kind of like dumbfounded, like, uh, yep, right. yep, that what you said. But you know, because, <laughs> and that's a seven-year-old, right? You know. right, but th- what I think is lovely about that conversation, about that statement, is what you said before, the idea that you're opening up something, you're, you're making it known that this is an open conversation, we can talk about these things. These are not things that we have to just notice and know, but never speak about and just pretend isn't there. And I think it's really, really important. I had, you know, long ago, I had a friend who, who said, you know, uh, this was a white person who said that her parent told her that she shouldn't be colorblind in relation to me, right? And so, you know, well, I don't think of Nanika as, you know, as a black person. I just think of Nanika as Nanika. And this this parent said, well, but being black is a part of who Nanika is. And if you don't see that, you don't see a whole bunch of things about her. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty, that's like not a, a usual thing, but, it, but it's so true, right? Like this idea of colorblindness, I mean, the fact that I'm a black person means I have a certain experience in the world, right? And 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 saying that you don't see that means you don't see this different experience I have in the world, and that's not important. And that's really something that I want parents to be able to feel comfortable talking to their kids about, right? And um, and I, I love that your book is, you know, giving a place to start these kinds of conversations. And so thinking about that and knowing that as as you just said you sort of are telling kids about things in stages right like not necessarily giving them everything all at once right. um so what what is a good way to especially for kids of color right. what's a good way to start bringing that in bringing in that you know racism anti-racism kind of conversation what's a when when they're ready for that what's a good way to start bringing that in well again well first i'd like to say um with um, kids of color to make sure that you're bringing color from the margins to the center, you know, helping the kids understand that they aren't the they aren't kind of the exception to a white default. So, bringing color to the center again means making the conversation normal and making it accessible. Like this is a part of who we are. These are the conversations that we have. And I will say. Yeah. So then when my children went to school, I think they were dumbfounded that their white peers um, didn't have the same. um, They weren't informed, you know, (laughs) even so sometimes they come back and tell me things. And of course, you know, when you're younger, your peers 
are have you know a lot of influence and so they would come back to me like are you sure about what you told me <laughs> you know and i'd explain like yes let me explain to you how they're not having you know these conversations i mean what we did in our family what after you know the, the kids fully understand you know the biology part and the genetics part so then yeah we talk about uh, race and we used books we used stories um, some of my, and so first of all, have the stories in your, in your house. So my daughter picked up books. Um, we liked those books, um, uh, what the, what is, or I know who is, or who was series. Okay. Hmm, so, I don't know the series. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those books, um, you know, like say, for example, there's a story about like Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman or Martin Luther King. So we're reading those stories. And so as we're reading, I'm taking that time to then teach and kind of feel in this context of, um, you know, the racial history. So this is what happened or this is what was happening back then. And of course, in a very age appropriate way and it's ongoing. So we were just watching with my 10 year old. She wanted to watch a hairspray. Now we've watched it before, um, but this time we're watching it. And so I said, you know, do you know when she says integrated pool? Do you know what that is? You know, so sometimes it's a you know it's an ongoing conversation. It's reviewing. So whenever possible, help kids know that yeah we don't exist in a vacuum. We're actually you know a product of history, or we are in the you know the stream of history. And so we're constantly you know you have conversations where you're the, you're giving them context. And so what that would mean for all parents is to have a general understanding of how race has worked as a construct in our country. Because I, I think a lot of adults don't have a, that grasp, as, you know, as well as they should. Because if you, you know, you have a general understanding, then you can break it down to, you know, the four-year-old or the seven-year-old or the eight-year-old without it feeling, you know, traumatizing. Indeed. What I think is really interesting about it is that it's it's so much about being able to put into words what so many of us just sort of inherently know, right? It's it's inside of us. White people know it. Black people know it. Other people of color know it. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult to like put into words, especially to a child, when it's something that you just sort of take for granted as being the truth, rather than trying to explain what that truth actually is. So I think that this is really a wonderful way of giving parents some kind of way of putting it together in some package that a child can consume. Yes, right. And again, they don't need the 400 years in one sitting. You know, it's, you know, you give a little bit at a time. And and if you let children lead with questions, you know, when you can answer their question and if they don't have any more questions, then you're done for the day. <laughs> you know, yes. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. 
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Thinking about justice and belonging, when I'm thinking about, you know, we, we talk so much, so much of this comes down, especially in this country, to white people and black people, where there is so many other people of color that are often not in the conversation. Um, but how do we think about this in terms of helping kids be upstanders, helping kids, including other people and prioritizing belonging, not just for people of their own race, but for all kids? And what, what do they do if they see something going on that isn't okay, right? Like, how can we help kids know how to be an upstander instead of a bystander? Right. And so, you know, here we have the natural empathy of children on our side. You know, they're naturally empathetic. And what happens, you know, it's kind of, they get taught away from it. Um, when, for example, we only focus on you know, one people group in school or history, right? So, you know, we, we teach them away from their empathy towards everyone. And um, when, we, when we only center, for example, one group of people or, um, and so really it's adults modeling this. Um, and so as adults, we teach children um, what to care and what not to care about. And that happens, you know, that happens in school. That happens also in churches. Like what a church prioritizes is important to, to preach, you know, or teach about, we're teaching them um, what what matters. And so we need to model being upstanders to um, our children. And so again, that that is conversations. Like if you see something, if, if you all, if something has happened on the news and you're talking about it, well, yes, talk about it from the perspective of, you know, an upstander or like, what are we going to do about this? we took our children to a protest. And of course we made sure that it was a protest that would be um, safe for children, but we wanted to immerse our children in that particular type of activism. You know, they're accustomed to me as an educator and talking about it and serving the community that way as an educator and helping people. You know, they've seen me, you know, we've given books to teachers um, for teacher education. We've given books to classrooms. And, you know, when things do happen, we talk about it, like we bring other um, like incidents into our family again. So the children can know this is how we feel about this and this is what's important. And this is how we are caring about this. So, again, adults model it, you know. So, again, um, schools, um, it could be through your school orientation at the beginning of the school year where you're saying, this is what we care about and this is what we will not tolerate. Again, if it's like a faith um, institution, 
again, from the platform is what people care about. So you have to integrate that and make that a part of your platform. And I'm wondering, you know, we talked a little bit about um, giving kids information about age appropriate bite-sized pieces. And I'm wondering too, one thing that really comes up a lot with the families I work with, the families of color, is they really, they want their children to know about race and racism and all of those things, but they really are so fearful that if I begin to tell my child about this, they will feel less than, um, they will feel less than other people. And, and they have this, you know, it's surprising, but, you know, sometimes we, we think that only white people are avoiding this conversation, but sometimes, you know, people of color themselves are feeling like, oh, if I start bringing this up, then my child will start feeling bad about themselves. And so they are avoiding it for that reason. So I'm wondering, you know, what advice do you have for parents uh, in that situation? Right. So, you know, when, like, if you're having to tell the story of race, which is an unfortunate uh, story, again, it isn't something that, you mean, we tell it in a way that it doesn't, that we don't have to carry it, right? So we don't, it's not, it's not our fault, you know, it's not anything that we did, so, I mean, there's all kinds of unfortunate systems, you know, sometimes men behave badly. Well, you know, and they do things to women. Well, it's not the fault of the woman. You know, So what I always would like to do, again, we have to know, of course, we, we have to know our children. Um, we have to um, kind of know our environment. Like if I'm if I'm an educator, you know, I'm the person who sets the, the tone for my class. I have to pay attention to the emotions of my children, you know, or my students, like what's going on. Um, I have to read the, the room, so to speak. So yes, it, you know, even in, in classrooms, um, I teach a high school course. <laughs> so, um, so here, I'm going to flip this. I teach a high school course, anti-racism 101, predominantly white students. And we have to really get into some very challenging conversations about, you know, whiteness and, and being racialized as white. And of course they, are sophisticated in their understanding. So they know it's not a personal thing, but there are times that they get discouraged because of the things that have happened in history in the name of whiteness. And so I take a pause, you know, we check in on emotions, you know, and then you can all, we can always share, you know, your, your bigger um, goal is, you know, healing hope. We can do something about this. We can make this better. We are not beholden to the way that things were. And so then even, you know, when I'm talking with, you know, my children of color and, you know, those of us in multiracial, multiethnic families, you know, we have this added nuance of like, okay, well, you have to talk about um, the painful parts of, uh, you know, whiteness, <laughs> you know, without making your white family <laughs> look bad and, you know, and same, right? And then talk about, the, you know, the trauma and subjugation of, you know, our Black ancestors without framing us as, you know, victims or we're, you know, victims. That's right. And so um, I think that, boy, we really develop skills when we do that. But I feel like then when you set the environment or you, you know, you set the atmosphere, you, um, you frame things, um, you frame what you're doing in this idea or this promise that, well, when we know better, you know, we can we can do better, you know, or we can create better or we can learn um, from their mistakes. And yeah, yes, back to your original question about kids of color is to 
they don't have to take on the, the ownership of um, happened in the past and they can be a part of. I remember my child, the my middle child, she's reading this book and she and there's a march um, and um, I think it's the book about, oh, I forget the name of it, but it's about people marching. And she mm-hmm. happens to see in the crowd white people. And she got so excited that there were white people actually on the right side of history. So in that moment, we, you know, we paused and we made a really big deal. out. Like she needed to make a big deal out of that. Like that gave her some kind of release, some kind of joy. And so we did that. And so, again, it's um, again, it's complex. Right. And it's nuanced. And we just have to be we have to be attentive. Like we have to be paying attention um, so that we aren't imparting trauma um, or perpetuating trauma. Yes. I think that's really important. And I think it's important, um, not obviously just for kids of color, but um, as you're saying, uh, for white kids too, for them to be able to have that hope, I can do something, I can change something. I don't have to, It does because these systems were set up before I was ever a twinkle in anyone's eye, I don't have to continue with the system. I could do something different. I could do something else. I We could do something, my generation could do something altogether different. And that's where the hope is. That's where the excitement is, that we don't have to keep doing the same thing if we don't think that that's the good way to do something. And I'm wondering, you know, when we think about anti-racism as a, you know, a, a concept, you know, what do, what do you find or in your travels and the work that you do, what have you found is something that is a misconception that maybe people are holding about anti-racism? <laughs> that is such a good question. And thank you for asking, because I don't think anybody has ever asked me that before. But it's something that I always want to say and talk about. And that anti-racism is not like dark, heavy, depressing, like labor work, you know, and or maybe it can't be like it can't be age appropriate. Like you can't talk to a two year old. Anti-racism. And I, I like love this word, even though I know a lot of people are afraid of the word anti-racism. But like even when with my course, initially my high school course, like I knew people were afraid of the term four years ago, five years ago. So I couldn't name it that. So we, we did uh, understand, you know, what is racism? And then we did understanding racism. And then we did dismantling racism. And all of that is just under this umbrella, right, of, of anti-racism. And, and I like it because it's the, it's the antithesis to racism, you know, racism represents scarcity mentality and power hoarding and degrading and devaluing humans. Meanwhile, anti-racism is all about cultivating justice and belonging, fostering community and connection, you know, valuing the diversity of humanity. It's about liberation. Like I, my first anti-racism courses in college liberated me. I mean, I hope to write a book about it one day because it was so, the depth was so significant and the ripple effect it was so significant, um, the, the liberation that it brought about. And of course, joy and, um, and creativity. We have to learn about the history, but for the purpose of not repeating it, or we have to learn about the history for the purpose of learning from the history, not to perpetuate trauma. That's not the point. The point, again, is to say, oh, I see what happened. And I see that all the time when people actually get an understanding. Again, you see people's minds and hearts start to expand 
and they feel like, oh, I can root myself in this work and I can see a way forward. Um, You know, what do we do? You know, when your child comes home and says, these things have happened, someone has said something unkind, someone has said, done something unkind, I don't know how I'm supposed to manage these situations in the moment. What is something that a child of color can do when they find themselves faced with bigotry or bias or, you know, some kind of stereotyping or microaggressions? So much can, you know, depends on the context. I would hope that the child is in an environment where adults have um, kind of created a space where, you know, belonging, I mean, sorry, where uh, bigotry or microaggressions are the exception, so much so that it was stand out and it's easily identifiable, you know? And then, um, and so I would hope that an adult would call it out, but if not, like, because sometimes adults not are not always in earshot, then the child knows that they can tell the adult or the teacher, the adult at school or wherever they are, and if not, again, that's what's so important that we establish safety and open openness at home so our child can, you know, come home and, and tell us. And so there's been many instances where, yeah, well, my children will come home and tell me something, you know, you know, so-and-so said, and, you know, I help them understand it. You know, if I need to, I'm, I'm their advocate, we are their advocate, so I am going to <laughs> say something to the adult that was in charge, um, it's important that they know that they are seen and valued um, and heard. And and I'm always encouraging, you know, parents to say something because I, I believe that most educators, teachers want to learn, want to do better. Um, like I've just seen teachers be brokenhearted and cry when they learn that maybe something happened in their classroom. And yeah, I, and of course, you know, we don't have to be combative. I know uh, you mentioned my TED talk (laughs) and, you know, my child came home and said, told me the story and I was all ready. I was all riled up and ready to fight a kindergartner. (laughs) She, (laughs) but again, because she had this language and understanding, like she knew, my child knew that she wasn't less than and so then she responded in her power in a very powerful way that, of course, helped me <laughs> in that in that moment. Like from teacher to parent to student, we need to be able to we need to be to have the permission to, to name the things and call out the things and, you know, and put our finger on the things so that we can correct them. Because, again, that's how the child is going to feel seen and valued and heard and recover from the, you know, the microaggression or the bigotry or whatever. Yes. The conversations at home are really building resilience, right? And the more information your child has about these things and and that they occur or that they're incorrect, right? Like that they are not less than, that somebody has faulty information, the less they will internalize these things. I remember right before we started recording, you said you had a couple of stories or something that you might want to share. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, what do you want to what do you want to lay on the listeners here? <laughs> well, I mean, I you know some of the like when I've had conversations with children, I am just amazed at how they open up. So one of my favorite stories is is a white boy 
who, after we did our workshop, he came up to me and he said, because we run out of time and I'm cleaning up, packing up. And he said, Dr. Barry, so do people with melanin more with more melanin like you can 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 you jump higher and i remember i was so confused so first of all yeah i was so proud of him for using the word melanin like very good but i was just like what and he saw i was confused so he had mercy on me and then he elaborated and he said so michael jordan has the melanin like you and he can jump really high and I'm like, oh, so now we as an adults know what was going on, right? You know, so it's the, um, you know, the myth of black athletic superiority, right? We know that's what's going on and we know how that happens. But again, this is a question that that child, I, who knows how long that child had that question. And so we don't know, was he asking it because he was wanting to play basketball and was wondering if, if he was going to ever be able to jump as high as Michael Jordan? Or, you know, if he was asking it, I don't know, for some other reason. I don't know why, but I just... I thought it was great that, see, here in this this little 30-minute workshop, and here's the irony, like, I know very little about basketball, but I did know that Michael Jordan practiced a lot, like a ton, like obsessively practiced. And so I told him that. I was like, oh, it has nothing to do with his melanin. I said, I cannot jump that high. (laughs) And, you know, and he did because he practiced. So, you know, maybe he the kid was like, well, maybe if I put in all these hours of practice, then I'll jump ahead. But I thought, I mean, that is so, see, like here he is with this question. And just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean that they don't have these questions. And then you don't want someone, you know, I've talked to adults who have internalized Black superior, athletic superiority and have made some outrageous comments, right? So, okay, here's one little, one little guy who won't be doing that. So <laughs> grateful for that. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you put it in that context of, you know, we don't really know why he's asking the question. Um, but one thing he may be holding is maybe I can't do that. Maybe only black people can do that. And I can't play basketball, right? Like the idea is like you have these very faulty ideas of what is even possible for you, you know, based on larger stereotypes. Exactly. And like, yeah, you if you watch basketball all the time and you see the NBA players, what they look like and they don't look like you. Right. So who knows what, you know, children, we make up the meanings if we don't have an explanation. So um, he had, I guess, made up a meaning and internalized it. But I'm so grateful that, you know, he kind of took that. He was like, this is my moment. I'm going to ask. And so (laughs) he asked. And I think I'm, it's wonderful too because you you gave him and you gave him an, a space right because of this workshop as you said it was permission oh we can talk about these things out loud I can just go up and ask I can just find out about this question exactly and see that's what happens like that's what the the adults tell me after the workshop how sophisticated the conversations between the students become I had one teacher tell me a teacher tell me that in the past when her when students would start talking about like skin color or race she would get so tense and stressed out that she would shut it down but like after the workshop she said they would have these conversations and she was so relaxed and she's listening to them and she's learning you know along with them and so I'm like yes that that makes sense it's so important to have these spaces where um, where we can just talk about these things openly and it's not there's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's, um, you know, no one's going to die because somebody mentioned the word race. Nobody's going to die because someone said whiteness, right? 
or, or blackness, right? So I will say, um, I would like listeners to leave. Um, like, let's equip ourselves with language and understanding so we can contribute to the like the society that we long for. So we can equip ourselves, then we can create it. We don't have to just um, be complicit with what we inherited, right? We have the power and we can empower ourselves to um, to create what we know is possible. And so competence, competence leads to confidence. And we don't have to be, you know, I hear a lot of pe- people saying, oh, let's get uncomfortable. But I think we're already uncomfortable. I think we need to get comfortable, <laughs> like get comfortable talking about race. Uh, yeah, I should say the whole term. Like I hear people say we need to get uncomfortable and talk about race. But I think we're already uncomfortable. I think we need to get, yeah, yeah, competent. So then we can get comfortable talking about race. That should be normal. It should be a normal conversation because it's so much you know, so prevalent in our society. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. That's, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of all the other conversations I'd like to have with you. Thank you so much for for being here. Um, The book is called, say, tell us about the book one more time. Yeah, it's like a long title, but it's Hughes of You. Hughes of You and then the subtitle, an activity book for learning about the skin you are in. Great by Dr. Lucretia Berry. Yes. Lovely. I can't wait. I can't wait for this book. I'm excited to share it with my listeners and with people I know, my people in my practice. I think it's really important that we're having these conversations. And I'm I'm so glad that you came to share with us a little bit about your work and the kind of work you're trying to do for our world. And so we can go forward in a different way. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find out more about Dr. Lucretia Berry by following her on Instagram and Facebook at Lucretia Berry. And you can learn more about her agency, Brownicity, Many Hues, One Humanity, at brownicity.com. That's B-R-O-W-N-I-C-I-T-Y.com. You can also follow Brownicity on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter using the handle at Brownicity. You can purchase Dr. Berry's book, Hues of You, an activity book for learning about the skin you are in, by heading to the link in the show notes. You can learn more about my work with parents at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com and on Instagram at BKParents. That's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. If you have more questions about skin tone or talking to kids about race, or any other parenting questions or stories, leave me a message at 646-926-3243 and be sure to let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show or send an email to parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Project Parenthood on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Project Parenthood is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Fyrebend with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcasting and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller. Our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Brendan Pika. That's all for this episode. Catch you next week. At Amica Insurance, 
we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.